1025, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Let us get started. This is, of course, Insight Week. Insight 2017 coming up at the Country Springs Hotel this Wednesday. Got a great guest list. Hope to see so many of you out there. We start off this show like we start off every show. Three big things. Things I need you to think that you need to know to discuss at the water cooler, at the gym, at the lunch table, whatever. We start with a story that is percolating involving a local congressman. The story has gone national. Jim Sensenbrenner has been the congressman essentially representing, well, um, one of the most heavily Republican areas in the country, Waukesha, Washington County, Ozaki County. Um, over the years, he's had portions of Milwaukee County. Not currently. That's occupied by Gwen Moore. But Jim Sensenbrenner, to his credit, loves having town halls. Now, what's been going on ever since Donald Trump was elected? And by the way, Trump's approval rating around 50 percent in a poll that is just being released today. So for all the people that thought, oh, Donald Trump's going to just completely destroy this country and people aren't going to like what he's doing, his numbers are starting to ratchet up. But anyhow, ever since Trump took over, you've had a lot of the astroturf, the, the protesters who've decided to show up, storm different town halls that congressmen hold. In many cases, the people that show up at these town halls don't even – don't even live in a particular congressman's district, but they come with talking points and they come with the idea that they are going to try to disrupt the event because they've got all their different issues because they're sorry that Hillary Clinton lost the election and they're upset that Donald Trump is doing a lot of the things he says he's going to do. So they are disruptive. Many congressmen have just decided we don't want to put up with this right now, so they backed off on having these town halls that inevitably are really, they're just media creations. The protesters tell the media, we're going to be there, and then this is the coverage. Oh, how unpopular these things are. You've got all the protesters screaming. And like I say, in many cases, it's just the same people who are trolling these things. On top of that, what happens is you have Democratic activists and paid employees for some of the various left-wing groups that go out and they try to record these things and they try to find controversial stuff that they are going to say. To hit that that are that are set. Sometimes it's in context. Sometimes it's out of context. Now, Jim Sensenbrenner, to his credit, he thrives on this. Rather than backing down from the town halls, he has town halls all over the area. And and I know, you know, day after day, town hall after town hall, I'm sure he sees a lot of the same faces. You know, it faces a lot of the questions, and you have the people that shout. But Sensenbrenner thrives on this, and and I mean, I give him a lot of credit for for that. But he is, of course, he's being trolled. So what happens is he has a town hall meeting on Thursday. And one of the things that he's being questioned about is his vote that would, um, back in the Obama years, what happened is that they passed various rules which sought to limit what Internet service providers like Verizon, AT&T, and Comcast could do with your browsing history. Um, Those rules have now been largely rolled back. So essentially, the idea is it's now kind of a free market. You you sign up with AT&T, you sign up with Verizon. They tell you or they set forth what the rules are, what they're going to do with your browsing history. Maybe that means they're going to sell it. Maybe it means they don't. They're don't. They don't. But Sensenbrenner supports um, allowing the free market to operate. And I think Sensenbrenner's thinking is that well, okay, if Verizon 
we don't I don't Sensenbrenner would say I don't want the government involved with this. I mean to me I think this is it's the free market type of thing and if enough people become upset that Verizon might sell your browsing history to places, well then another internet company is going to come around and AT&T is going to say, "Okay, we're not going to sell your stuff. Come to us." So, I mean Sensenbrenner's approach is a free market thing. So that's the issue. He Sensenbrenner is being questioned by that. So, here's here's what he says. Now, Again, this is an unscripted moment at this town hall meeting. Sensenbrenner starts off by saying, nobody's got to use the Internet. I don't think it's my job to tell you that you cannot get advertising with your information being sold. My job, I think, is to tell you that you have the opportunity to do it and then take it upon yourself to make the choice that the government has given you. He says, look, I... um." I say, you know, you have a choice not to use the Internet if you don't like um, what they do with privacy types of things. He says, you know, nobody has to use the, the Internet if you don't want to or if you don't like it. So Sensenbrenner is essentially arguing, look, it's a free market type of thing, and I don't believe that Congress should be in the business of telling these Internet providers what they can do to raise money. He then goes on to explain that if if Congress, for example, were to get involved in this, said if we, if we were somehow to come in and regulate the Internet like we regulate public utilities, say what they can do, what they can charge, he said the growth of the Internet would have been dramatically less because, again, we would have stifled their ability to make money. And so it's just essentially it's a free market argument. That's what Jim Sensenbrenner is saying. Well, all right, this has now gone viral. I hate that phrase because it's cliche. I'm looking at the Chicago Tribune, for example. Nobody got to use, nobody has to use the internet. GOP lawmaker who voted to scrap web privacy rules. A Wisconsin congressman, this is the Chicago Tribune story, told a town hall attendee who was concerned about the elimination of online privacy protections that using the internet is a choice, a statement that has drawn criticism on social media. And of course, this is all recorded by one of these trolls, a staff member from this lefty group called American Bridge PAC that supports uh, Democrats and monitor statement by Republican politicians. So Sensenbrenner is getting all this criticism for saying nobody's having to use the Internet. Well, what he's actually was saying in context was, all right, I don't think that the government should be regulating what the Internet can do with your information. And if you don't like what a provider is doing, well, maybe you can switch to another provider. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I really think Jim Sensenbrenner is getting a bad rap with regard to this. I don't like pop-up ads at all. I don't like necessarily like the idea that, you know, whatever provider I use makes a decision if they want to sell my browsing history. But at the same time, if that helps keep the cost of my Internet service down, I'm willing to live with that. And if enough people object to this, well, then you're going to have an Internet service provider that's going to come around and market themselves as saying, we will never sell your information. Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is Sensenbrenner wrong in the essence of what he is saying? I don't think so. But what do you think? We discuss next. It's 843. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on.
It's 847, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Quick reminder, follow the Brewers coming up approximately 910. Your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to uh, see the Brewers play at Miller Park and then be registered for our weekly grand prize winner um, this week. This week, we qualify five people, and then on Friday, we randomly draw one of those five names. This week, we're going to be sending the winner to uh, Minnesota for the Brewers-Twins, actually Minneapolis, but it's in Minnesota, for uh, the Brewers-Twins game um, on August uh, 7th. So be listening. Um, their chance coming up in about 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah, so the headlines, all the national stories. Jim Sensenbrenner, oh, this terrible out-of-touch congressman. You know, He says that people don't use, use, need to use the Internet. Now, what he's saying is, he said, I don't want the government to be regulating Internet providers like we regulate the utility companies. Um, if we do that, we're going to stifle uh, growth. We're going to stifle information. What I want to do is let the free market work. And, you know, if you don't have to go to a particular site. If you don't want to go to a particular site and don't have that show up in your browsing history, then don't go to that site. And he is being criticized for that. I'm telling you, to me, this is just absolutely the free market, and it's a cheap shot at Jim Sensenbrenner. Speaking of cheap shots, big story number two. All last week, the dominant story was United Airlines. Everybody knows the story by now. You have the passenger who's on the flight. He's sitting in his seat. He refuses to get up and leave because United, the flight isn't overbooked. United wants to bump four people off the flight so they can get a flight crew on this flight from Chicago to Louisville. Then the aviation police come on. They come in. They drag the guy out. He's a bloody mess. It's just a horrible story. United completely screwed up the whole PR thing about it. And United, over the weekend, announces that they will, as a matter of policy, no longer allow crew members to bump seated passengers. Now, there's got to be an asterisk for that because the key word is seated passengers. They're not saying they're not going to involuntarily bump people, but they are saying they're not going to allow people, once you've got on the plane, to be then physically removed, which is what they should have done in the first place. So anyhow, United's getting all this bad press. And into this wades this story um the headline is bride and groom booted off united flight in houston and we were playing some of this um, earlier during the morning news a bride and groom headed to costa rica for their wedding got kicked off their united flight out of houston on saturday the incident took place on a united airlines flight which was headed from houston to costa rica um The couple, along with their friends, were flying from Salt Lake City and had a layover in Houston. The groom, Michael Hole, said he and his fiancée, Amber Maxwell, were the last to board the plane. According to him, he noticed a man was spread across their row, napping, when they approached their seats, 24B and C. He says, not wanting to wake the man, they decided to sit three rows up in seats 21 B and C. He said he didn't think it would matter because the flight was half full with multiple empty rows. He said, we thought it's not a big deal, so they move into row 21. United Airlines, in this flight, row 21 is something they they call economy plus. I assume it has more leg room. It is an upgrade. Now, I hate it when airlines do this, but that's what they do. So this row... It's not just like any row. It's you have to pay more for it. So the flight attendant comes up and sees them in the seats. And the flight attendant comes up and says, hey, um, do you have tickets for this? And they say, no, we're, we're, we're back there. And then the flight attendant says, you need to return to your assigned seats. Now, this is the guy's story. 
He says, well, we complied with the flight attendant's request. And then, as we're back in our seats, a U.S. Marshal comes onto the plane and asks us to get off. He said, we, we ended up getting off, but we didn't understand why, and then they, they cooperated. All right. Well, here's, here's what United says. Said, well, okay, this guy's not telling the whole story. United says, actually, this couple recognizing that apparently there must have been more leg room or something, that they tried to sit in the upgraded seats repeatedly and that they wouldn't follow crew instructions. Airline comes out with this statement. We're disappointed any time a customer has an experience that doesn't measure up to their expectations. These passengers repeatedly attempted to sit in upgraded seating, which they did not purchase, and they would not follow crew instructions to return to their assigned seats. We've been in touch with them, and we have rebooked them on flights the following day. All right. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. The guy says, the groom, the guy that got bumped said, I think customer service and the airlines have gone really downhill. The way United Airlines handled this was really absurd. Okay. Look, color me skeptical. And I understand that United Airlines doesn't have a lot of goodwill. But when I hear this story, and I first saw this last night, I watched this guy talking about it. Color me skeptical. I tend, at least at first blush, to think that this potential bride and groom weren't the innocent victims that they are making out them to be. I can imagine this. They're on this party trip. You know, they're going down to get married. They've got their friends with them, and they see a chance to get into an area with more leg room. Believe me, as somebody who's 6'1", I understand that. Um, I tend to – I don't think that their story – rings true. I suspect that it probably is the case that they were trying repeatedly to get into the seats. They kept moving in there, and United told them no, and when they kept doing it, they ended up getting bumped. But that's just my take on this. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and ta- Text Line. Is this Does this strike you as a story, again, of United Airlines being completely insensitive and overreacting? Or Do you think maybe the guy's story is a little bit overstated in this particular case? And I understand that United doesn't have a lot of credibility necessarily. I'm skeptical of what this groom is saying. How about you? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. It's 853. 856, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I understand United doesn't have a lot of goodwill, but this story this guy's telling about the couple that gets booted off the airplane on Saturday, United says, no, they kept trying to move into seats that they hadn't paid for that were an upgrade. We didn't give them the upgrade, and after they kept doing it, yes, we, we tossed them off the plane. He's now saying, I don't know what was going on here. I'm a little bit skeptical of the guy's story. Derek and Brown Deer. Derek, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. I, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of this. Um, people that are going to take advantage of the, the, the negative situation that happened. And right. either they're going to spin whatever little bad thing happened to them into a big story, or they're going to, you know, push the line and say, well, what are they going to do? Push us, you know, kick us off and do a repeat of what happened. And I mean, yes, could there be another side to it? Sure. But in this case, in you're skeptical too. You're, yeah. you're skeptical of this. Yeah. And, and I mean, no, thanks for the call. And see, and that's, of course, that's 
that's what United is now invited by, at least in my opinion, you know, mishandling the situation as badly as they did. They've invited people to do this, and they're essentially daring them. Look, I, I have no doubt I, what happened. Okay, it's, it's this bride, the groom. They're on their wedding trip. They've got their wedding party that's there. They're in a hurry to get there. These are better seats. They want to move into the seats. I understand that, but it's an upgrade. United says no. Apparently, they asked if they could get the upgrade. No, but they... I bet you they tried to get in those seats a couple times. And after after being told you have to sit in your assigned seat, if a couple times after being told that you keep trying to move up, I understand why, even if it's a half-empty plane, why they do things. And, again, I think you're exactly right, Derek. I think what's going on here is you have people who recognize that United is vulnerable, and they are trying to exploit this. Okay, uh, Justin writes on our text line, the couple obviously thought they could bully United in providing extra goodwill that they didn't deserve because of recent bad press. I That's my, my sense. Another one of our text lines, Jeff, I'm sure you're right. Sadly, it sounds like they were trying to take advantage of United's recent bad publicity. I'm sure they thought to themselves, how could United kick off a couple en route to their wedding given what happened earlier in the week? Well, all right. Th- this is, unfortunately, you know, United has brought it on themselves by the way they've missed handled a couple situations in the past but that being said and again maybe maybe i'm analyzing the situation wrong maybe this was well we got on the plane and there was this poor man sleeping in these rows and we didn't want to disturb him and wake him up so we just decided we were going to move into the upgraded seats and and then after they told us to to leave we, we promptly did and imagine our surprise when the air marshal came on i'm just telling you i have typically a pretty good bs detector and when i was watching this guy do this interview my bs detector was going off big time coming up in just a couple minutes your chance to follow the brewers and north korea back in the news stick around it's 859 jeff wagner 620 wtmj what a what a great wisconsin sports weekend um Brewers off to a little bit of a rocky start, two and five on their homestand, their opening homestand, and now they go into Toronto last week. They win two games in a row. They go to Cincinnati. They win three games out of four. They're one game over five hundred heading into Chicago. Um, they've guaranteed themselves a winning road trip because they're five and one on the road trip. And even more importantly, they're playing good baseball. I mean, that's that that's the thing which, that you love to see: timely hitting, solid pitching. Good defense. It's early in the year. Okay, I, I understand that, but um, I, I've been saying this for two years. There, if you get a chance to watch the Brewers, they're fun. They've got a lot of good young players, and they're playing the game the way they should be. And so, um, uh, I tell you what, the big series coming up in Chicago. So tune in. You can hear our various broadcasts. But but it's a fun team. And of course, then then you have the Bucks. Now I I am glad to admit that when it comes to the Bucks, I am glad to admit that I was wrong. At the beginning of the year, the over-under in Las Vegas, if you were a betting guy, and I'm a betting guy, the over-under was, I want to say, 39 games. In other words, the, the Las Vegas odds makers thought it was like 50-50 that the Bucks would win you know, more than 39 games. So the Bucks won, what, 42 games, I think? And they've made the playoffs. So, okay, they go into the playoffs, and I think a lot of people thought, all right, Toronto's a really good team. Toronto's going to blow them out. Well, I mean, that game that they played Saturday night against Toronto, that they not only won the game, they took it to Toronto. It was an incredible defensive effort, an incredibly well-played game for the Bucks. Now, are they going to be able to sustain that? Can they win four games out of seven from Toronto? I don't know. But you look at the way they played basketball on Saturday, Saturday, and 
Um, it was great. All right, we've got the winner for today's Follow the Brewers. It is Mark from Kewaskum. Mark from Kewaskum wins our four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers play the Cardinals this weekend at Miller Park and is automatically entered for our drawing on Friday. His will be with four other winners. One of them gets to go to uh, Minneapolis in August to watch the Brewers play the Twins. Again, it's Follow the Brewers. Um, keep listening this time tomorrow for your next chance to win. This is, you know, in the last segment of the program, we were talking about the Internet and how people use it. This is one of the most dramatic changes with with the Internet. Um, All right. Normally, normally April 15th is the day that all of us have to have our federal income taxes in unless you put in for an extension. You know, in this particular case, of course, April 15th was on a weekend. So normally then today would be tax day. Well, okay, today um, is not Today is not tax day. Um, instead, this year, tax day is actually April 18th, Tuesday. Now, you might wonder why that is. Well, it's because, again, normally when April 15th falls on a weekend, it's the, it's the Monday the tax day is due. But Monday, today, is a holiday in Washington, D.C., so what happens is because it's a holiday in Washington, D.C., everybody gets until Tuesday, April 18th to file their taxes. According to the Internal Revenue Service, 20 to 25 percent of American taxpayers, one out of every four or five, will file in the last two weeks of the tax season roughly. OK, Hondo, you are waving your hand. You OK, explain this to me. Have you filed your taxes yet? Last night you did your taxes. Now, did you file them electronically, or did you send them in? You filed them electronically. Well, that that was the point I was – okay, why did you wait until the last minute? Uh, uh lazy. Okay, well, no, I mean, I just – see, if okay, were you getting money back? You were getting money back, and you waited until Sunday. Oh, that's not just lazy, my friend. That's dumb. <laughs> I mean, okay, you, you've given the government an interest-free loan. All right, but, but – <laughs> no, I mean, I, I understand if you have to pay – Income. If you have to pay money in, I would understand why you want to wait to the last possible minute. But if you're getting tax money back, man, I tell you, if I was getting money back, I would be as soon as I got the information, I, I would be, be out there filing it. But here's here's the interesting dynamic, and this is one of the ways that the internet has changed things over the years. If you will recall, not that long ago, when, whenever tax day was, was the fifteenth or the sixteenth or the seventeenth or today, all, all the way to the eighteenth, one of the standard shots that you used to see on TV was every TV station across the country would line up outside the main post office in a particular town. Like in Milwaukee, you'd have every TV station that was down, in this case it would be tomorrow night, um, waiting outside the main post office. You'd have all the different postal trucks that were there, and they'd be filming people one after another pulling up and filing their taxes. If you will notice, you do not see those videos anywhere near as much anymore. And the, the big reason is exactly what my producer Hondo did. More and more people file electronically. Now, it was interesting. This year is the first year ever that because mine are, my taxes were a little bit more complicated because of stuff that happened in my life last year. So I, I just decided, okay, I'm going to hire an accountant. So, um, you know, I, I needed. I also needed some tax planning advice, and so I wanted to talk to her about some certain things. So, I mean, we... We, we filled out, you know, she, she did the taxes. And I have to tell you, I mean, it was it was actually quite a relief. And, and she caught a couple things and some documents that I'd gotten that I would not have necessarily caught. So it was well worth the money. But um, 
when, when we're doing this. She says, well, I noticed that in years past, you've just always sent in a hard copy. Um, and, and this year, I'm, I'm for the first time in ever, forever, I'm, I'm getting some money back. And she said, I, I noticed you've always sent in just a hard copy. Is there a reason why you didn't file electronically? And I said, well, not, you know, not, not really. I guess I just force of habit. She said, Jeff. You know, it's it's just so easy. Let us file, and unless you really, unless you really don't want to, I would say we just file electronically. So I said, she said, you'll get your refund a lot quicker. Just just do it. So you know, we filed electronically. So no more mailing those things all out. And I will be curious once the numbers come out as to how many people continue to take that option. Because I know a lot of folks, even if you do your own taxes, you you. It's not like you go to the library a lot of times and you get the forms. What you do is you use, I don't know, one of the tax program things like TurboTax or whatever, and they've got the file electronically element. I mean, so in essence, the showing up at the post office with the big envelope and putting it in the mail, that is, too, going the way of the dinosaurs or the print newspapers. And this was the first year, I mean, uh, the accountant filed it electronically for me. And the more I think about it, the less, I mean, it really, if you've got that capability, I'm not sure it makes a lot of sense. So... If you got the capability, it makes doesn't make that much sense to not do it. So th- those days of turning on the TV news at 10 o'clock at night and seeing those long lines outside the post office by the last-minute people dropping them off, I, I think, uh, again, that's... that's not the future. It's more and more of this electronic stuff, and this was the first year we did it, and Watch this will be the year that <laughs> this will be the year that something happens. But I, you know, I mean, I felt comfortable with it, so we just went ahead and did it. But if you are one of the procrastinators, like my producer, you have until Tuesday this year. You have until April eighteenth um, because there is a holiday in D.C. today. Coming up in just a couple moments, we're going to be talking about what happened in North Korea over the weekend and what the Trump administration needs to do moving forward. Stick around; it's nine seventeen. I know a lot of people were perhaps punched out of the news cycle over the course of the Easter weekend. I certainly understand that. But a lot of interesting developments in North Korea. You will recall last week, uh, more and more sable rattling, the North Korea is a rogue nation. Let's just get that out of the way in the beginning. And what was happening is you have the dictator in North Korea who was talking about how he was going to, again, set off an underground nuclear test. And the United States was saying, no, this is not going to happen, and and we're going to explore alternatives to try to stop you from doing this. One of the things that, of course, was going on is President Trump was meeting with the Chinese president and trying to get some cooperation because to the extent anybody can rein in the crazy uh, leadership in the regime in North Korea, it might be their, their principal partner and ally, China. So I think everybody agrees that um, nuclear weapons in North Korea Bad, bad, bad thing. Meanwhile, the North Korean dictator engages all the saber rattling. We're going to try to. We want to attack. Uh, we want to attack the United States. All these things. So there was not a nuclear test over the weekend. What they did is they tried to test fire a ballistic missile, and what happened is, after four or five seconds, the thing just fizzled. the The test was a complete and total failure. Now, one of the interesting parts of speculation that's out there is that um, one of the things that might have contributed to the failure is the the missile system may have been hacked. The North Korean missile system might have been hacked into um, by 
United States as part of a cyber attack. I mean, that's one of the things they're not they are not confirming that, but that's one of the speculations that's out there. And, and so far, the government is saying, well, we have have no comment on whether you know we did something to mess around with this because obviously it wouldn't be in anybody's interest to say that. But the, the launch w- was a fizzle. That of course has not stopped the the North Korean regime from continuing to saber rattle. They have thus far conducted five nuclear tests, including two last year. And recent satellite imagery suggests that they could um, potentially conduct another underground nuclear test at any time. And what the Trump administration is saying is that um, this is not going to happen. We're, We're just not going to allow this to happen. And if if this failed launch of a missile had been actually a nuclear test, um, they say other actions would have been taken by the U.S. But the way it is right now, that it was just a failed ballistic missile launch. Um, whether the U.S. sabotaged or not, we don't know. Maybe that will come out at some point in time. But North Korea continues to saber-rattle about atomic weapons, nuclear weapons. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is, together with Syria, these are, I think, the two hottest spots in the world. Obviously, I think most of us would agree that nuclear weapons or even successful long-range ballistic missiles that could theoretically attack the United States in the hands of a madman like the guy that is in charge in North Korea would be a bad idea and cannot be allowed to happen. Obviously, to try to bring about economic pressure and to cut deals with China and get China to try to intercede, that's, that's clearly the way to go. But here's the issue that presents itself to the Trump administration. If China is unable or unwilling or whatever to reign in North Korea, and it does look like North Korea is going to try to run another nuclear test. Now, so far, most of the stuff they've done has been complete failures, but all you need is one. I mean, once they figure it out, you know, then they've got the nuclear capability. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I obviously hope to see diplomacy, and I think we all do. But if it looks like they really are going to do a nuclear test, I think the Trump administration has to be prepared, even if it ratchets up tension, to stop those nuclear tests to do whatever it's going to take, and if that means military involvement and bombing or whatever, they need to do it to make sure that North Korea doesn't get nuclear capacity. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Obviously, things have been diffused temporarily because of this failed conventional missile test, but North Korea is not going away anytime soon, and if they ramp up stuff, do we need to respond accordingly? I think so. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's nine twenty five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's nine twenty eight. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. How did he become the only governor in American history to win a recall election? What was it like to go toe to toe with Donald Trump on a presidential debate platform? Governor Scott Walker sits down with me this Wednesday night, two days from now, and you can be there to see it live. It's Insight. 
2017 at the Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee. Time is running out. Few tickets left. Head to WTMJ.com to buy your tickets today, and we will see you there. It is an absolutely great lineup. Uh, This is the first year that I've been the host of Insight, and I'm very much looking forward to it. I have been following with interest everything that's going on with with regard to North Korea because obviously, obviously, there's a lot at stake. At the same time, when you have crazy regimes who are trying to develop nuclear capabilities, I think we need, as the United States, to do everything we can to prevent that from happening. The obvious obvious solution is to try to get China. And I guess I want to give President Trump credit. Sounds like we've opened up all sorts of avenues to try to encourage China that understands as well that North Korea getting nuclear capabilities or the crazy regime leader being able to develop uh, ballistic missiles that can fly and potentially pose a threat to not just South Korea, but also the United States, that that's not in the interest of anybody to have that happen. So I, I think... It's good to see that there's avenues that are being opened. It's very, very good to see that we're trying to use economic pressure to try to change those things. But the reality is, if it becomes clear that the economic and the pressure from China isn't going to work, or while they're in the process of trying to use diplomacy, this crazy guy in North Korea decides that he wants to continue to do nuclear tests, at some point in time, you have to say enough is enough, because so far... North Korea has been the gang that couldn't shoot straight. When you know their, their missile launches, they're pretty much all failures. Um, the, the nuclear tests don't appear to be getting anywhere right now. But all they need to do is to figure out how to get it right once. And once that ends up happening, then you know the world really is going to be in a bigger mess than it's there now. So I think the Trump administration is absolutely correct in the way they are approaching this, and I hope they continue going down that route. WTMJ in light of recent tragedy, city of Milwaukee leaders are now discussing how they can better keep their employees safe while they're on the job. Steve Scafidi knows where they ought to begin, and he's going to tell you about it this afternoon at 135. Be sure and check that out. Hey, you think there is a crime problem in Milwaukee, and, and you are right. There is a huge crime problem in Milwaukee. There's a huge problem with violent crime in Milwaukee. But if you're trying to find at least a silver lining in a very dark cloud, here's what it might be. We're not Chicago. (laughs) Here, over the weekend, get this, Saturday night into Sunday in Chicago, 29 people shot in less than 18 hours in Chicago. 29 people shot in less than 18 hours. You want to talk about killing fields. Well, that's where it is. Now, the miracle about this is of the 29 people who were shot, um, only only one died. Only one died. A couple of the shootings were apparently where people opened up on large groups of uh, folks who were standing around. Um, three of the people who were shot um, under the age of 18, 14, 15, and 17. But 29 people shot. This also underscores a point I make from time to time about how homicide rates can be a little bit misleading when it comes to trying to measure the level of violence in a community. And that's because... Anytime, anytime someone gets shot, it could 
in fact, turn into a homicide. And in many situations where somebody gets shot and, and they don't die, it's just merely a matter of, of luck that, you know, the bullet did not strike, you know, uh, did not strike, you know, some vital organ or it is a tribute to emergency medicine because, I mean, it's almost miraculous that 29 people shot and only one died. You feel sorry, of course, obviously for the person that died. But if you want to look at a real measure of violence in a city, you do look at homicide rates, but you just also look at shooting rates because, like I say, anytime there's a shooting, it could lead to a homicide. But I don't know. It's uh, I'm not sure. It's kind of damning with faint praise, but when it comes to violent crime, at least here in Milwaukee, we can say that, well, at least we're not Chicago. 29 people shot um, in 18 hours. That's just absolutely staggering. All rights. I've been there, – there is no question, even if you are – if you are one of the people that suffers from Trump derangement syndrome, if you're one of the people that thinks it's absolutely inc- horrible that Donald Trump was elected, I, I understand all that, but – one of the things that I think is now cannot be argued about is that his poll, his approval ratings are starting to go up. Now, there's different polls that are out there. And, you know, I mean, I, as, I've, as I've admitted, I fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, you know, um, the, you know, shame on me. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Shame on me. And, and given the fact that polling has been so lousy, over the course of the last several election cycles, I am very skeptical when I see any sort of poll. So I, I take these approval polls, you know, with a grain of salt. But nevertheless, you, you've had a lot of them. Many of these polls, which, again, didn't see Donald Trump's victory, now suggesting, you know, that he's very, very much underwater. His approval rating a lot lower than his disapproval rating. One of the things I think you're seeing over the course of the last couple of weeks is, is that is starting to turn around. I think there was a lot of support, especially among conservatives, for the, the Supreme Court appointment, and now Neil Gorsuch is on the Supreme Court. The economy in general, stock market has been up. I think um, you, if you talk to a lot of business people, their confidence level is high, and they're starting to approve things. I think that uh, the reaction of what the Trump administration has done militarily in Syria in Afghanistan, and I think maybe even in North Korea, is starting to show up as well. And I bring this up because, you know, one of the the many different polls that are out there, and like I say, I know that there's other ones that are there, but uh, Rasmussen reports, they do a daily tracking poll uh, of approval. And again, take it with a grain of salt because it's it's one of the polls. But um, for the first time in a long time, um, Donald Trump is now back to even. His approval rating is now up to 50%. That's a new number out today. Disapproval rating is 50%. It is the first time his overall approval rating has been back in the 50s in nearly a month. Just after his inauguration, his job approval rating peaked at 59%. Um, and then in early March, it, st- it started to plummet, and it's gone as low as 42% since then. Um, now it's up. Among the people who feel strongly, 30% strongly approve of the way he's doing his job, 39% strongly disapprove. So, I mean, that gives him a minus nine rating on the, the strongly approve, strongly disapprove. But even that is is a dramatic improvement of where he's been. Um, the conclusion is President Trump had a pretty good march when it comes to overall approval ratings. 
414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let us tee this up. We are coming up on, on 100 days. What sort of job do you think President Trump is doing? Do you think he's gotten over a rocky start? Was the rocky start overplayed in the first place uh, because you had a lot of people in the mainstream media that just didn't like him? His approval ratings seem to be ticking up. Is that a legitimate number, or do you just not believe that poll? Um, what do you think is going on? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I will tell you, I think that poll is legitimate. I think that more and more people are starting to become more com- uh, more comfortable with him. I think the longer he stays off Twitter, the better that is going to be. But I believe that that's a legitimate number, and I believe that that's probably going to be mirrored in other polls that come out soon. But what do you think? Uh, do you approve of the job that President Trump has done since taking office in January? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 942. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 945, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you missed out Saturday, don't make the same mistake tomorrow. Be part of our WTMJ Bucks playoff watch party at the Bosch Tavern in Hales Corners. Come cheer on the Bucks as they look to take a two-game lead on the Raptors in Toronto, plus win some great prizes that we'll be giving out during the game. It's WTMJ's Bucks playoff watch party at the Bosch Tavern in Hales Corners tomorrow night, 6 o'clock. It is sponsored by Lincoln Contractor Supply and Rhino Shield. Okay, new poll out this morning suggesting for the first time in at least over a month, Donald Trump's approval ratings are now back to even. But when I say underwater, it means disapproval lighter, higher than approval. It's now 50% in the latest Rasmussen poll. I think that other polls are going to start to mirror that as people start to approve of the job he's doing. Bonnie and Glendale. Bonnie, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. I was wondering if it would be possible to contrast the polls that we're getting on Trump now um, with the polls that Obama got at the same point in his pregnancy, see, <laughs> presidency. See, okay, see, Bonnie, all right, now, Bonnie, that is a good question, and I can actually answer that question because I was looking at that same thing this morning. If you go back to January of 2000, the same, and let, let's compare apples to apples, the same poll, apples Rasmussen apples, reports, right. the same polling, um, at approximately the the same time, I mean, I, I can I can tell you within a week, um, Obama at this point in time in his presidency was in the early was in the low 60s, 61, 62 percent approval. Trump is at 50, so Obama was much higher. Well, I mean, yes, yeah, significantly higher, but that's what the numbers were. Do you have a reason for that? Oh, well, yeah, I think, well, because when, when President Obama took over, it was all this hope and change, and people had all these great expectations. When President Trump took over, it was, we can't believe he won, and he's just going to be terrible, and all those things. I mean, they're, they're, typically presidents get a honeymoon. Barack Obama got a huge honeymoon. Trump had none. That's my theory, at least. Okay. Thank so, you. Okay, no, thank that's that. See? See, I I I, anticip- I was thinking. Okay, I, I was curious too. What was what were Obama's numbers in the same poll? But I, I mean, I think, I mean, let's face it. Um, President Trump. I mean, you still have. <laughs> I, I was looking at a poll the other day, and it just it makes you nuts to try to do this. You know, the, the one of the polls I was looking at says that sixty percent of Democrats and self-identified Democrats still believe that Donald Trump is not a legitimate was not a legitimately elected president. To which I say, what the hell? I mean, what what do you mean that you know it's not legitimately elected president? All right, you you might not like him, but yeah, he was legitimately elected. He won the election. That 
that never played out with Barack Obama. You know, you would have never thought anybody said, well, he wasn't legitimately elected, those type of things. No, there, there just wasn't that, that honeymoon. But what I think you are seeing, and I, I firmly believe this, is that more and more people, uh, particularly conservatives, um, are, are, are being able to make the distinction between the personality and the, the policy. And, again, the longer President Trump stays away from Twitter and, you know, crazy stuff at 535 in the morning, you know, uh, the, and the more he stays on point, I, I think the better off that that is going to be. One of the other interesting things that is out there is, and I don't know how this is going to play out, but over the last month or two, President Trump has back, has been in the process of backing away from a number of the things that he said on the campaign trail, including some of the stuff that I, I thought was the most out there. Um, I, I mean, one of the classic examples, and this isn't necessarily the out there thing, but during you know, the campaign, he, he was he was saying, okay, the, the U.S. has no, we should not be involved military in, militarily in Syria at all. Well, after Assad launches the chemical attack, he, you know, he changes his tune, and he goes along with the advisors. But you're starting to see more and more of that. You're also seeing starting to see what I, I think is a moderation um, away from some of the hardline positions he took into some of some more what I would describe as more mainstream kind of establishment Republican things on on the economy and things like that. Now, whether or not that's going to whether that's going to cause some of his staunchest supporters moving forward to want to bail on him and say, oh, this is something he promised during the campaign. Now he's not governing. I don't think those people are going to bail on him. Plus, I think more and more people who are more moderate, conservative-leaning but moderate, are going to start to come around. And as long as the stock market continues to go up, and as long as we appear to be reasserting the United States' role in in the world, I I think it's going to be successful. All right, let's see. Um, Our text line has exploded here. Um, Kevin in Watertown wrote, There are a lot of people like me who didn't vote for Trump but were willing to give him a chance. We now see things are going well, and the country isn't falling apart like some said would happen. Yeah, I think that is the general reaction that is out there. Um, let's see here. We have another one of theirs. This is Kevin in Belgium. I reluctantly voted for Donald Trump because I was never a Hillary Clinton uh, person. Um, I believe in the last few weeks, Donald Trump has been showing some real leadership, and I would give him a thumbs up for what he is doing around the world. Um, I hope we can stay strong with North Korea. When I talk to family and friends, a lot of people agree that they think Trump will either go down as one of the best presidents we've ever had or one of the worst. Yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, who knows? But I'm not surprised to see these numbers because I think, again, when he first got elected, there was this huge sense of outrage, and then you had the mainstream media outlets that were going after him, going after him, going after him. Now I think a lot of people have kind of sort of tuned that out, and you're looking at the things that matter. Is the economy doing fine? How do people personally feel about the future of the country? Do you feel that we are on the right track? And I think while there's still a long way to go, and look, there's not, you shouldn't be popping champagne corks about having a 50% approval rating. But at the same time, it's a lot better than a 42% approval rating, and he's done a lot to turn it around in the last 30 days. It's 952, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. <laughs>
It's 9.55, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we're going to be talking about a very controversial thing. You've heard about wrongful death lawsuits. What about wrongful life lawsuits? I will tell you all about it, and we will discuss. And then, uh, breaking news, no surprise, but Governor Scott Walker, who will be joining me Wednesday night at Insight, um, says he is going to sign a bill which would essentially do away with the last vestiges of the prevailing wage rules in Wisconsin. We will talk about that during the 10 o'clock hour as well. you got to love college campuses. You, you, you just do. And we typically do this in the form of, like, snowflake alerts. There was the story last week that we discussed, Duquesne College in Pennsylvania. Um, the, in, in the student union, um, what they have is they have a number of fast food restaurants, kind of like they do at UWM. And one of the things that was going on is that uh, Chick-fil-A, which is one of the most popular fast food operations in the country. I mean, Chick-fil-A's, they do a great job, number one. Number two, they are licenses to print money because people love what they do. So they want to put in a Chick-fil-A at Duquesne University. Now, Chick-fil-A, as many people know, it's, uh, it's a privately held company. The folks that run it have deep-seated religious beliefs. For example, Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. They believe that, that is a, a day of, of rest. And they have been in the crosshairs of a lot of liberal activists because of their conservative religious views. Nobody's ever alleged that they've discriminated against like gay employees or anything like that. But the very idea that, here, th- these are conservative Christians that run this. We, we, we can't support Chick-fil-A. So what happened at Duquesne is they announced that, hey, we're going to have Chick-fil-A. Come on in. And they, together with Arby's or McDonald's or Pizza Hut or whatever, you know, they're going to be one of the you know, places that students can go and, and eat at in, in the union. Well, the response from the gay, lesbian, uh, transgender group it was outrage. It was like ultimate snowflake alert. They were saying, well, we, 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 this is going to violate our, our safe spaces if you allow this, this chicken place to come in. I mean, we're going to be traumatized because who knows what the people that run this place might do. Other, like, what are they going to do besides make chicken? So the, the Duquesne president, other than simply... I mean, the only response to this was, hey, snowflakes, the appropriate response was, hey, snowflakes, you know, get a life. I mean, seriously, you know, this is going to violate your safe space. But instead it was, well, we're going to take these concerns seriously and we're going to commission a study to evaluate the effect of Chick-fil-A, to which my response was, oh, my goodness. I mean, really? You know, if you don't want to patronize Chick-fil-A, don't patronize Chick-fil-A. But this idea that, well, we're going to be traumatized. It's going to violate our safe spaces. I mean, give me a break. Well, here's here's the latest version of that story. Um, University of California at Davis. And of course, if, if you took a map of the United States and had a whole bunch of marbles in it, you shook it up, all the loose marbles run to California, a couple stopping, getting stuck in Madison, of course. So here's the deal. Um, if you go into most public buildings um, where they have meetings, this is the United States of America, and there is an American flag displayed. Right? There's an American flag displayed. No longer for the student senate at the University of California, Davis, they have passed legislation revoking a rule that required the American flag to stand visibly at every Senate meeting. The American flag is now going to be removed from the student Senate hearings, and the only way it can be displayed is if a senator files a petition 
And then it will be at the discretion of the leader of the Senate whether to approve, reject, or set the decision to a vote of the Senate, according to the bill. We have now come to the point that at a college campus, a taxpayer, publicly funded college campus in California, the United States flag will only be displayed if you can get the permission of the person running the Senate, because some snowflakes are offended. Go figure. Coming up in just a couple minutes, we're going to be talking about wrongful life lawsuits. Stick around. It's very interesting. And um, prevailing wage prevailing wage dies in Wisconsin. Stick around. It's 9.59. It's 10.09. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. This is the segment of the program I always call it. I call it dealer's choice. It is not necessarily the most significant topic of the day, but it's something that I find to be incredibly interesting and, and very, very talkable. If you have ever checked into a hospital or had a loved one check into a hospital, one of the things they commonly ask you is whether you or not you have what they call a DNR, not Department of Natural Resources, but um, do not resuscitate. And what, what they're asking you is that if something happens to you, do you want them to use extraordinary measures to try to save you or do you wish that they're just that you just want them to let you go? I mean, you'll do what they would normally do, but you're not put you on a ventilator, not do various things. And it, it's a very, very important decision that you you have you have to make because the question becomes, all right, where where do we go? Where do we go from here? And again, let's let's take a situation where you have somebody who is in a situation where there's a terminal illness. And it's the end stage type of thing. And the question becomes, okay, if the person goes into cardiac arrest, let's say for the sake of argument, goes into cardiac arrest, do do you want medical professionals to try to bring them back or do you just want to let them go? And, I mean, I, I, I how you feel about this is an individual matter. It probably depends on... Your, your mental state, you know, the nature of your illness, how old you are, your religious beliefs. You know, it, it's a very, very personal decision. And I would never suggest to anybody, you know, how they should necessarily handle this situation when the question is asked. But, but here's the interesting issue to me. Let us say that you go into the hospital and you, you have a do not resuscitate order. You know, you're saying, okay, look, I don't want, if something happens to me, I go into cardiac arrest, I don't want you using extraordinary measures to bring me back. All right, that's, you sign it, it's on file, it is a decision that you have made. All right, what happens if the doctors ignore that DNR order? What happens if you then, okay, you, you fall into the situation where if they did not use these various measures, you would have probably passed away. But they bring somebody, they use these measures, it brings them back to life. And then what happens if the person, say, is in a coma that they never come out with? You know, should should there be consequences for the doctors ignoring these DNR, uh, these do not resuscitate things? Now, you might say to me, okay, Jeff, why are we talking about this? Does this happen? And the answer is yes, it, it happens. And it is happening with increasing frequency. Big story in the New York Times over the weekend. The patients were saved. That's why the families are suing. 
Here's part of the story. What happened to Beatrice Weissman before dawn on August 29, 2013, was not supposed to happen. The staff, the medical staff at Maryland General Hospital found her in cardiac arrest, resuscitated her, and kept her alive. The matriarch of a close-held family in Maryland's eastern shore, she, then 83, had suffered a serious stroke in June and had spent weeks in two hospitals. Fortunately, she and her husband had drafted advanced directives. She named her husband William to make medical decisions if she uh, became unable to do so. I've been there. In August, as her condition deteriorated, um, the husband convened a wrenching family meeting at their homes. With the support of their four children, he authorized medical orders for life-sustaining treatment, known as a MOLST form, stating that if his wife's heart or lungs failed, she should be allowed to, to die. And this is um, this then becomes in Maryland and in most states it becomes part of the physician's order. They apply in every healthcare setting and provide a clear guide to patients' wishes, even more so than the standard directives. Okay, so she's got this on file. When she was discovered um, in cardiac arrest, staff members began to see, perform CPR, which caused broken ribs and collapsed lungs. They defibrillated her with electronic shocks, injected um, epinephrine, and succeeded in reviving her. Um, The the couple's oldest son says, my father was distraught. He said his parents had done everything the way they were supposed to, wills, advance directives, all the forms, but when hospital personnel found the patient dying, they violated his wishes. The husband then brought suit against the hospital for its treatment of the son then brought suit against the hospital for treatment of his mother, alleging assault, negligence, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and other claims. Now the New York Times story goes on to talk about how physicians and hospitals are routinely you know, they, they routinely deal with the threat of lawsuits when they fail to save a patient's life. Now one of the trends is they are facing legal action for letting patients die, not for not letting patients die. Apparently, there's similar lawsuits that are popping up all around the country. And the, the general philosophy in the medical community has been, okay, if, if you're in doubt, err on the side of aggressive, life-sustaining treatment. And they figure, okay, well, you know, if, if we save somebody, they, they can ultimately decide to, to do something else. Um, but now... Now more and more people are saying, hey, we have these directives. We're telling the doctors not to do this. They do these things. They end up saving somebody's life but breaking their ribs or causing all this pain or whatever. Or then, you know, they end up being in a, in a coma or something. And in many states, you don't have physician-assisted suicide. They're suing. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am very curious as to what you think about this because I have a very strong opinion myself. You you go to all the trouble to make your wishes very clear. I don't want this. I don't want that. Don't resuscitate. Don't do these things. You go into the hospital or wherever. You get into a situation where they then use, they essentially ignore your DNR, your do not resuscitate order. In those situations, do you think the hospitals, the doctors, the personnel involved in making that decision, do you think there should be some liability to either the patient or the surviving family members? What happens if they save somebody's life? They call it wrongful life. 
Is this a valid basis, or are these people just trying to win the legal lottery? We discuss next. I've got a strong opinion. I'll share that with you as well. It's 1016. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1018. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is going to be an interesting conversation. Dan in Port Washington. Dan, you're first. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, you go into the hospital or, you know, your parents go into the hospital or whatever. They have one of these do not resuscitate orders. Something happens and the doctors ignore it. Should they be liable? Um, yeah, I think they should. That happened to my dad four years ago. Went in for procedure. Had a series of many strokes, other things, complications. They went into immediate recovery. He didn't recover from that. Actually went to a coma. And then all of a sudden they said, now we're going to put him in incubation. And if he doesn't wake up in a week, well, you're going to have to decide whether to uh, disconnect right. or whatever. And I go like, uh, wait a minute, Mom, did you give DNR? Yeah. Why was that not followed? Right. Well, they probably just went into a panic mode. Here's what I'm saying. You were, you were a lawyer before in your previous life. This is something your, your program can help push. Governments push a lot of other nonsense, but here's what's important. Push a program so DNR, living wills, could be done on a more mass scale because I see this generation passing on, passing on horrific bills, increasing. I don't even know what my dad's bill was for that week, probably 25000 30000 But the bottom That's line is he didn't want yeah. to go through the extraordinary he, – he didn't want to go through what he was put through for a week. He had made that decision, right? Well, not even him, but the family. Jeff. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, no, I'm, Dan, see, I, I mean, I, I mean, then I guess if, if medical providers can ignore these, what, why have them in, in the first place? I mean, I've, I, I've gone through this a couple times in the last several years, and it is a very, very difficult, wrenching decision, um, that's, that's going on. Um, but, but you make this decision, and you say, okay, this is this is what we have decided, and this is what you know we want to have happen. And I mean, I can't, I just can't imagine somebody you know making that decision in the context of the hospital to ig- ignore that. Now, once you get to hospice care, it's a different type of situation. But you, you go through this wrenching decision, and somebody says, okay, I'm terminally ill or whatever. I've made this decision. I, I don't want extraordinary measures and. In the situations that I've been through, that was the very clear wish of the people for whom I was the health care provider of. And I will tell you, if I found out that somebody in in hospital or something ignored the, the wishes of these people, that it had been a very, very considered and was a very, very strongly held opinion, I, I, I would be irate. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Leroy in Milwaukee. You're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Good morning, man. I love your show, first off. And uh, I'm, I have a uh, difference of opinion. Okay, fair enough. Okay. Would, I always say it would be boring if we always agreed. So <laughs> what do you think? All right. My thing is this. If you choose not to want to live, stay home. You know what I'm saying? I mean, okay, a doctor's moral compass is you come here, I am here to save your life. I'm here to see life go on. So if you don't want someone to see your life go on, stay home and and make that your final resting place. Well, but but because what? If, but let me let me give an example. What if you're in a situation? Let's let let me give you. You you've got somebody who has terminal cancer, 
and they're they're in they are in for for they're in for treatment and as the as part of that that treatment um all of a sudden they they go into cardiac arrest but they've already said look i i don't want extraordinary measures to revive me if something bad happens i mean would you really say okay don't go in to get treatment for your cancer because if you go in the doctors are going to do everything they can to save you honestly yeah because i mean they're there to save you i mean you know aren't they there to follow the patient's wishes i mean especially in these end of life decisions I mean, truthfully, yes. But my thing is, if you come in with cancer, you know, they, they, they're saying, hey, I'm going to do everything I can to see you live longer. Well, they don't know how to say, hey, I'm going to let you sit here and die, you know. Well, I mean, I, I mean, thanks. I see, Leroy, we, we just have to disagree. With, I mean, because what you're saying then is you don't think anybody should be able to have a, a do not resuscitate order. And I, I mean, that that's, I mean, I think patients have every right to make end-of-life decisions. And again, these DNR things aren't saying they're they're not saying okay, don't don't try to save somebody. But they're saying okay, you you have a you go into massive cardiac arrest um, after you're you're in there for treatment or whatever. And the only way that they can save you is by like in the case we're talking about now. Okay, pounding on the chest and and using the electro the paddles, knowing that even if they bring somebody back, they're probably going to be in a vegetative state. Or, or regardless, the person has just said, I don't want those extraordinary measures. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. My, my mother, who I miss to this day, my mom passed away at the age of, of eighty. She was very very clear, you know. After and she had a couple years of liver disease, and you know, she was very very clear that you know when. When it was time, it was time. She did not want extraordinary measures used. Now, as it turned out, you know, we got her in home hospice care, and I, I was, my brother and I were, were with her when she passed away. But, I mean, it, that she was very, very clear that she didn't want this. And I guess I look at this and say, don't, don't we have an obligation to honor what, what, she, what she wants? She was just, okay, I, I don't. I, I don't want the, these various things. And it was a very considered, she was a very smart, wonderful woman who made that decision. And I have to tell you, if, now, again, she was in hospice at the end, but if she had been in a hospital and I hadn't happened to be at her side and I found out that something had happened and they'd used these extraordinary measures or they hook her up to a ventilator or something to keep her alive after she was just ready to go, I would have... I would have been irate. 414-799-1620 is the number. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1025, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Twenty-seven, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Let's talk to uh, Mary in Milwaukee. Mary, good morning. Hello. Hi, Mary. Hi. First of all, let me say I really enjoy your program. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, I I had a situation. My mother was in the hospital. Um, went in for something real minor and. Um, she was supposed to come home on a Wednesday. This was a Monday. And she had a do not resuscitate. That was her wishes. Right. And they don't know what happened. But a nurse had been in, seen my mom, said, I'll be back in a half an hour with your lunch tray. She came back about a half an hour later, and my mom had passed away. They tried working on my mom for about five, seven minutes. She had already passed. Right. 
and she had a do not resuscitate. Right. So, you know, I mean, as a family, that was hard to deal with. You know, knowing, you know, they broke her ribs, and granted, she, she had already passed, but it's still, right. they were not supposed to do that. There was no reason to do that now. And when I asked them, they just said, I said, what did you do? And they just said, well, they weren't aware of it. That's the answer I got. And my mom had ended up, she did die from a pulmonary embolism. So really there was nothing anybody could have done. Um, but like right, I say, she had already passed and yeah. they went in and did it. Well, I guess it's, to, to me it raises the question of why bother having them? I mean, why why go through this if, if they're going to not be followed? And I get that's, that, that's the thing now. I, again, because it's such a gut wrenching decision to have this discussion in the first place about mom. What do you want? You know what? And and then you know, as the as the healthcare person who's responsible for this, um, and I guess and like I mean, I don't mean to criticize doctors and nurses. I understand it's a very very difficult job, but at the same time, I, I do think. I do think you have to follow the wishes of the patients. Otherwise, let's just not have the DNRs in the first place. Exactly, because when she beginning started seeing the doctor, you know, that's the first thing they always ask you, yeah. do you have a living will? And then they have somebody come and help you, and, right. you know, then as a family, you sit down and make that decision, What you know, and she made that decision. We have to accept it, because as the family, you're like, well, Mom, we don't want to give up on you, you know? Well, yeah. And she's like, no. I don't want it. I don't want it done. That that was my mom too. I mean, my mom had had a rich, full life. She had a terminal illness, and you know, we we discussed this on multiple occasions. And she felt very, very strongly about that. That you know, she the the idea of you know somebody, I, I mean, electric you know, the, the the paddles and stuff like that. That's just not what she wanted. Now, thankfully, it never got to that stage. And like I say, she went into the hospice care, and it and she passed peacefully. And I'm very much at peace with that decision that was made. But that was her decision that she made, and my brother right. and I were charged with trying to make sure that that was carried out. Now, thanks for call. I appreciate. I mean, again, this this is a very difficult issue. We're, we're going to move on to the next segment. Right? We we've got a number of people on the line, including I know a number of we've got a, several nurses who are saying, "Yeah, look, a lot of times what happens is we don't know that there's a DNR. There, there's one in place, and we don't know." And to me. I, I understand if if you don't know if that information hasn't been communicated to you, well, then then you can't follow it. And I understand the default position, absent a DNR, has to be that you're going to do everything you can possibly can to save the patient. But from the perspective of the patients or the patient's family, if you go through all this and you have one of these, it, it does seem to me that 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 needs to be communicate now like i say a lot of times maybe you you come into an emergency room you don't know but in a hospital for sure i mean unfortunately i spent more time in hospitals over the last few years than i choose to um but i mean that's one of the first things that you go over and you know that that's part of the file at least it should be Ten thirty six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. What's next for Dante Hamilton's family? Could you, the Milwaukee taxpayers, be on the hook for millions? John McCure has the answer at three twenty during Wisconsin's afternoon news. Check that out. All right, this is certainly going to be controversial. Um, you, you might have heard the term project labor agreements being thrown around. Matter of fact, there was some advertising um, on, on our station uh, dealing with those. A, a project labor agreement. Is essentially it's essentially where there, there's a public works project like 
you want to build the Milwaukee Bucks arena. And there's $250 million in taxpayer money being used to, to spend it. A project labor agreement would be where a local government could require contractors. So if you want to bid on the job to, to do what electrical, plumbing, ironwork, whatever, a project labor agreement was where a local government could say that in exchange for, for, for bidding, as a condition of being able to bid and get the job, what you contractor has to do is you have to agree reach an agreement with labor unions to work on on these projects so essentially you know the local government could say we we want to make sure that whoever is bidding on the job or doing the job is is using union workers now um the legislation legislature has just essentially they passed a law which would block local governments from being able to require these project labor agreements. The local governments could still, so far, set wages and you know conditions and things like that. They could say, okay, you know, you, Mr. Contractor, you're gonna have to pay um, you know, X amount of dollars or whatever. That that it also gets into prevailing wage, but we'll leave that aside for a minute. But but they just could not require that you use union workers. You could set standards, you know, but you couldn't require that it be a, a union. In essence, union contractors and non-union contractors would be able to bid, and then the government, then the local government or whatever, decides what which way they want to go. But you couldn't just simply say, hey, if you're a non-union contractor, you're a non-union electrician, you can, you know, you, you can't bid on this. You're, you're essentially shut out. And the, the rationale is that th- these these requirements limiting these these project labor agreements that require you to only use union workers, what they are is it's it's just a it's a political it is political. It doesn't necessarily enhance the quality of the project. It adds up costs and it's a way that local government officials can cut sweetheart deals with union members who union shops that turn around that then turn around and support them. So um, the legislature, you know, um, essentially passed a law which would say that local governments in Wisconsin could no longer require contractors to reach agreements with labor unions to work on taxpayer-funded projects. And uh, today, you know, Governor Walker announced that he is going to sign this. Matter of fact, I think he's going to be signing this um, today. All right, so again, this doesn't mean that a local government can't set certain standards or certain qualifications that the contractor, the people working on a project have to have. It just it can't be, and essentially, you can't force somebody to, to, to for it to be a union. Um, the people who oppose this say, okay, this is another blow to the middle class. You're trying to keep, um, again, people from working on public projects and getting good middle class wages. Some people argue that this is going to be just terrible because non-union shops don't provide the same quality work that union shops do. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have nothing against union shops. I, I, I don't. And I but my experience is that I don't accept this notion that because you are a union plumber, 
you are automatically better. You're, because you're a contractor that has union plumbers, you are automatically better than a contractor that uses non-union plumbers. Matter of fact, my guess is several of the people who, you know, maybe people bounce back and forth. Maybe you're a union plumber for a while, then you're, you're a non-union plumber. To me, it should all be about quality and it's quality of the work, and it should be about cost. And I'm not a guy that believes in going for the lowest bidder. I mean, not at all. I mean, because I think you need to have that balance between quality and cost. But the idea that if it's a public works project, a bridge or an arena or a road or whatever, that if you automatically use non-union workers, that means you're going to get lower quality, I, I reject that. I mean, 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, like I say, you can, I think it is perfectly reasonable for you to say, okay, you know, we want certain training standards, but, I mean, this idea that it has to be a union worker, to me, is nothing but protectionism. All right, we discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on, 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back, and if you're on the line, please hold on, it's 1042, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1045, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. In the playoffs for the second time in three years, the Bucks rebuild has not been as painful as many expected, but is the optimism still there for a 50-plus win season in the future? Greg Matzik says absolutely. I'll explain tonight during Sports Central at 607, Jacqueline in West Dallas. Jacqueline, good morning. My daughter just uh, completed a friendship iron workers local eight. Okay. Uh She's not going to be discriminated against. She's one of 3% female, entire nation, iron workers. Okay. Is she going to be discriminated against by a non-union shop? I doubt it. She's not going to be, she's not going to be hired. They can hire whoever they want. So you think that the only way your daughter is going to be able to get a job is if she's part of the union who will look up for stand up for her legal uh, rights? They do stand up for minorities. I can tell you that. Well, okay. Well, what, would you? Would, okay, but you. So you're suggesting that nobody who doesn't belong to a union has any sort of remedy if they get discriminated against in employment? I didn't say that. I'm just saying that the union stands up for hiring females. In an all-male. Okay, but I, I guess if uh, that, that's fine, but then th- that presumes that if your daughter can't get a job in a non-union shop, that she's not going to have any any remedies. I'm think. I mean, see, I, I guess I just that's what I, Jack, that's what I just don't, don't don't buy. And I'm I'm not. That, that that's great. If if you're a union member and you like it, I think that's super. I'm not suggesting that people shouldn't do that, and I'm not suggesting that you don't get quality work out of the unions. Now, I will say. One of the things that I think even a lot of union members would tell you is that the unions end up sticking up a lot of times for the lowest common denominator. They have this obligation to defend and stand up for union members who, in many cases, even even that that, that bottom 20% or that bottom 10%, who I think most of the other union members would say, well, we don't like what this person did, but the union has to look out for him. But that's fine. I mean, I don't have a problem with that. But at the same time, this notion that, hey, I'm a female iron worker, so if, if I get a, a – so first of all, all the non-union shops are going to automatically discriminate against me. Well, I, I don't know where that comes from. But if you're a victim – that then the other idea is that if you're a victim of 
legitimate discrimination based on gender bias or whatever, that you don't have a remedy unless you belong to a union. Sorry, I just don't buy that. There's people, there's all sorts of people that are out there who are not union members, who on a regular basis, you know, file claims of discrimination or sexual harassment or or whatever uh, against their their employer. So, yes, I I will accept the premise that the union's going to be there, okay, looking out, for, for her, if she doesn't get a job, and that, that that's great. And in her particular case, that's super. Make the decision to, to join the union. I don't have a problem with that. But the flip side of this is, you know, when you're dealing with taxpayer dollars, should the local governments be allowed to force to force the projects to be union projects? And like I say, I there, I'm sure there's very, very good union contractors that are out there. I'm not complaining about that. But this notion that if you're a non-union contractor, that automatically means that you are going to do substandard work or the workers aren't trained or anything like that. Sorry, I mean, that's that's the part that I just simply do not a- accept. Okay, let's go to the WTMJ text line, which is exploding on this particular issue. Um, all right, uh, Jesse from... Um, Green Bay says, okay, this is what Jesse says. I'm glad you brought up the subject. For example, Highway 14141 Project in Green Bay were only union contractors. Everybody's wage was $55 an hour. Now the state is looking for money to fix our roads. Um, We need to do, like you said, acceptable worth with an acceptable wage. $35 an hour would still be a great wage, and it would save the state a lot of money. And I guess the question would be, I don't know about the 55 or 35, but again, the, the question would be, all right, could you have gotten, again, a non-union contractor to have done the same quality of work at, at less money? Um, that, to me, is, is the standard. Let people bid. Let, and, you know, what sh- why, should, why should a local government care whether the contractor is a union shop or a non-union shop? The, when, when you, for most people, okay, you're going to replace the roof on your house, Right. So what, what do you do? You call a bunch of different places, you get bids, and you're asking the, the question. All right, you, first of all, you, you check into the background of the contractor. Is this some fly-by-night contractor? Is this some business that's been there for years? You, you check into their reputation. You look to see if they have claims and complaints against them. You look at their price, and then you make that decision. I mean, I don't know. I can't remember. And maybe maybe I am atypical, but when I've had a, a project at, at my house and, and people have come out to bid on it, whether it's windows or roofing or, or whatever, electrical, whatever, I don't ever remember asking the question, is this a union shop or not? I mean, I, I have done background and due diligence to make sure that I'm not having some fly-by-night contractor in. But otherwise, I mean, if I get a good reference or whatever, I, I don't care. That, to me, is between the employees and the, the different the different contractors that are there. Um and then I'm going to go with it. Well, if that's the way most people, and I think that's probably the way most people operate in their private life, why should, why should we care if, if again, you know, all things being equal, the, the only reason for local governments essentially to insist that it has to be union without regard to cost, without regard to the reputation of non-union contractors, I think is just to give a big sloppy wet kiss to, again, the local unions and to curry favor with them so they support you the next time the election comes up. Um, If it's a bad company 
whether it's a bad union company or a bad non-union company, well, then you shouldn't be doing business with them, period. But this idea that, and again, the thing that's important to note about this legislation is you could still, the local government, if you've got concerns about quality or the skill level of the people working on it, you can still write the bids in such a way as to satisfy those different concerns, skill levels, things like that. You can still do that. You just couldn't require that it exclusively be a a union shop. Now, my guess is what's going to happen is you're now going to have a lot of these local governments that, again, want to make sure that they give that big sloppy West kiss to the unions. What they're going to do is they're going to write the standards in such a way that it becomes difficult for non-union shops to bid anyhow. But we'll see how that all plays out. But this isn't bashing the unions. It, it's it's not. It's I just think when it comes to taxpayer dollars, we should do what most of us do in our, our real life, which is just try to find the best value. And that's not the cheapest. It's quality workmanship at the most reasonable price. And if it's union workers, God bless them. If it's non-union workers, that's fine, too. Just get quality, get value. And that's especially, I think, being a responsible steward of taxpayer dollars. 1053, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1056, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You listen to them every football Sunday and on Wednesday night, two days from now. You get a rare chance to see them live and in person. Packers Radio Network, the team, Wayne Larrabee and Larry McCarran, are going to sit down with me during Insight 2017. Don't miss this rare chance for some green and gold Insight in person. Tickets are on sale now. Um, Go online, WTMJ.com. There's a few left, so get them while they're still there. So if you have been waiting to purchase yours, time is running out. We are going to have an absolute blast. Insight 2017 at the Country Springs Hotel in Pewaukee. It is coming up this Wednesday night, coming up in less than 10 minutes. All right, racism or an overreaction? Major League Baseball um, trying to pressure the Cleveland Indians to scrap their chief Wahoo logo, and some people want them to go even further. They say the nickname Indians in and of itself is offensive, and Cleveland should move into the new century, and do away with that. So um, we'll be discussing that. Speaking of the consequences of of decisions, Hondo, you do not watch the show Survivor, but have you seen Survivor? Yeah, I mean, I, I used to... I, I, it's amazing to me that Survivor has lasted as long as it has. And so, I, I mean, I give it credit for longevity. I mean, I remember... Like the first year or two of Survivor when it was the must-watch TV thing. But it's got legs. I mean, it's been on forever. You know, two episodes, two, two, two separate Survivor contests a year. Um, this one has been more controversial than others because apparently um, among this season's competitors was a, a transgender individual. And the, the big news was that at they, they have these like tribal councils where you get together and they figure out who's backstabbing who and things like that. Last week, and I, I read this was going to happen, so I acknowledge I did spend some time watching this. Last week at the tribal council, you had this one guy who's a real estate agent from North Carolina who was about ready to get voted out. And to save his skin, he decided, for reasons that I'm still not clear, to reveal to God and the world that one of the one of his fellow competitors was transgender survivor 
Now, apparently, everybody that was competing knew that, but this, I mean, Survivor recognizing that, hey, we've got a ratings thing, they then, you know, they, they played this up. The tribal council lasted like 25 minutes or something, and ultimately the guy ended up getting voted out for being so insensitive as to reveal this to the world. And, of course, CBS, recognizing that it had a hot story, ran this as their, their big thing. It's not like they decided to cut this out because they wanted to take advantage of it. But um, bottom line is the guy who outed the um, transgender competitor, um, not only did he get voted off the island, as it were, um, late last week, he was fired from his job as a real estate agent in Greensboro, North Carolina, because, as the bosses said, we now find ourselves in the middle of a news story that we didn't want anything to do with. So as a result, we don't want anything to do with the guy who put us in the middle of this. So not only not only was his name is Jeff Varner, not only was Jeff Varner voted off of the island, out of the game, he didn't win the million bucks. But he's now lost his job. Hmm. Um, those are unintended consequences, I guess. Coming up in just a couple minutes, Chief Wahoo, is it time for him to go? It's 10.59. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 11.09. So, Jane, yesterday I, I was the parlor game for Easter. <laughs> I, I, I became the, par- the Easter parlor game. Mm-hmm. You did. I, I did. See, this. Um, I, I have... My mind works in peculiar ways, if people have been listening to me over the last 20 years have probably figured out, but I, I, there, there's a lot of stuff I retain. I'm bad with names. I, re- I remember faces. I can remember obscure issues, but I just, I'm bad with names. I'm with you on that one. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll run. I, I know I've seen them, but I'm just, I, I'm bad. And it's just, and I don't know why I've always been bad. Okay, so, but I, I'm trying to get better. This is my self-improvement thing. Now, this woman I'm dating has has six sisters. All who have brothers-in-law, and so like last week, there's a party. So I, I'd met a couple of sisters and brothers-in-law before, but last, so it was last weekend. It's all six sisters, all six brothers-in-law. Okay, okay. so we're all together in this room, and then because in the, the nature of the industry she's worked in, she knows everybody. I mean, just ever people might know me, but they 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 know who I am, but they they know her. So it's all these friends, and so I've been just like meeting all these friends and stuff. So. Um, last last evening, we were we were out and we were with two two friends of hers. They're listeners of the program, uh, Barb and Bob. And they decide, okay, this is how we're going to spend Easter. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna put we're gonna quiz Jeff on names. Oh no! <laughs> oh, yeah. oh no! <laughs> can, can can you okay name all the sisters? I was able to do that. Name all the brothers in law, and I, I actually. I got five out of six. And That's I just, pretty good. And I just, and I mean, and I, I could picture the, the other. I mean, I, I, I knew who we went with and stuff. And I just, I just, I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name and stuff. And it, but it, it was, I was kind of the entertainment. And then it's sort of like, okay, let's run through these various lists of friends and stuff. And I, I was actually, I, I'm doing okay. So That's I'm, good. I'm working, so you're bad with names too, huh? I am. It's terrible. It's it's really awful. Well, I, I've been I've been making this conscious effort to 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 get better, and I'm and I'm, I'm just I'm not a natural at it, but I'm trying I'm trying really hard. But I actually thought, you know, I mean, you, I think that's kind of a passing grade. I was able to, but of course, everybody's laughing at me because, okay, <laughs> do you want us to give you a hint? I said, well, no, it's you don't need a hint. I mean, I I can picture him. I mean, it's just I just don't remember the name. But, Chuck. Yeah, yeah, it's Freddie. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know it's not that. But now I, I will now. Next time, I, when, I, when I take the quiz in two weeks, I will be all set there. So that was, but yes, I was a part of an Easter parlor game. Well, it's bad. I thought you were going to say it was pin the tail on something, so I didn't <laughs> want to go there. <laughs> no, that um, 
Huh. Different kind of party. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's, 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 okay, well, hang out at Jane Matinair's house. Yeah. At, at, at my place, it's just like, can you name the brothers-in-law and the sisters-in-law? At Jane's, it's pin the tail on whatever. I'm, I'm hanging out with her. She knows how to party. All right. All right. Um, th- there, there is an ongoing controversy um, with regard to the use of Native American mascots and Native American nicknames. You know, that's played out in Wisconsin for years and years. I'm still obsessed over the politically correct decision by Marquette University a long time ago to do away with the nickname Warriors because they thought Warriors was um, insensitive to Native Americans. To me, that's just an idiotic position, and it was an idiotic, politically correct position. I understand that they had a mascot that was arguably a caricature of a Native American. My point was always, well, okay, just, just get do away with the, the mascot. You keep the nickname Warriors and come up with a different mascot. But Marquette is incredibly politically correct. You've, you've had this battle that you know played out in the legislature um, where you used to have a state law that allowed one disgruntled person to whine about a Native American nickname, and then the presumption was that it's racist and you have to get rid of it. That law has now been repealed. Um, so it's a much more common sense sort of thing. So Maguanago, which is, of course, a Native American name in and of itself. What does it mean? Like the home of the bear or cave of the bear, something like that. And if you drive through Maguanago, it seems like every other street, if not more, has a you know Native American name. Now, you know, Maguanago can continue to be you know the Indians or whatever th- that is. But this battle continues to play out. It plays out on the college level and it plays out on the professional level. You have the Atlanta Braves that are controversial because it is a Native American. Nickname, it is a Native American, there's Native American imagery. People at the Braves Stadium stand up and they do the tomahawk chop, which infuriates a lot of people. Um, So the Braves are a controversy. The other controversy are, wait for it, the Cleveland Indians. Now, the logo that the Cleveland Indians have used forever is this image of what they call Chief Wahoo. And you've perhaps seen it before. Chief Wahoo, it is a caricature of a Native American. It is a picture of a Native American face, an Indian face, big teeth, smiling with a headband and with a feather coming out, you know, wearing a headband and a feather. This has been their mascot and logo forever and ever, but it continues to infuriate some people. The Indians have backed away from this a little bit. Because now they no longer, Chief Wahoo used to be on their hat, their, their, their caps. Now it's no longer in their caps. It's just a big C as in Cleveland. But on um, some of the, the uniforms, um, they, they still continue to use that logo. And like I say, this, this logo has been part of the team's history dating back to the 1940s. And um, while it's not as prevalent, some of the team's uniforms and caps um, do contain this. And the Indians, the Cleveland Indians, do continue to sell Chief Wahoo merchandise. Nobody makes them buy it, makes people buy it, but it continues to be popular. So now the new baseball commissioner, Rob Manfred, has weighed into this. And, um, you know, he's announced that... You know, he understands why people find this offensive, and he is now apparently pressuring the Cleveland Indians to do away with this once and for all. 
Now, in addition to this, it's not just about Chief Wahoo. For example, a number of the protesters say it's not just Chief Wahoo. This is the entire culture here. We want the Indians to now do away with their nickname. We don't want them to be the Indians anymore. Um, one of the stories I'm looking at quotes a member of a tribe is saying, we are people, not mascots, not logos, not imagery. We want to get rid of the name Indians. The Indians were recently awarded the 2019 All-Star Game, and one of the things that's being tossed around is, as a condition of them being able to keep the All-Star Game, it's thought that Major League Baseball might say, hey, you have to do away with Chief Wahoo. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time once and for all for Chief Wahoo to go? Should the Indians do away with the nickname Indians? Or is this political correctness run amok? It has been a symbol since the 1940s. Is it time to just let tradition take over? I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1117. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Drive home with John. What's next for Dontre Hamilton's family? Could you, Milwaukee taxpayers, be on the hook for millions? We go in-depth at 320 this afternoon. Wisconsin's Afternoon News with John Mercure on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Easter is over, and you know what that means. We're getting closer and closer to summer, and all the things that come with it, like cookouts, like family gatherings, graduation parties. My niece graduates from high school in about a month, and such. Now is the time to get your home's exterior ready for all the entertaining you know that you're going to do. Get the painting project off your to-do list by doing what I highly recommend. Contact Serta Pro Painters today. There are tons of painting companies that are out there. How do you know the best one to choose? Well, let me make it easier for you. Just do what I did when I needed the outside of my house painted. I called Serta Pro. I have used Serta Pro on interior and exterior work. I can tell you from personal experience, they're great. Um, you want a painting company that's going to arrive on time, maintain a neat, clean work environment, clean up after themselves, respect your family and your pets, do a great job, and be incredibly affordable. And all that is CertaPro. Call them today before their spring schedule fills up. Call 800-GO-CERTA. That's CERTA with a C, 800-G-O-C-E-R-T-A. Or you can go online at CertaPro.com. That's why CertaPro Painters says, we do painting, you do life. Each CertaPro Painters business is independently owned and operated. It's 1119, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The uh, Major League Baseball All-Star Game is coming to Cleveland in 2019, and uh, there are at least some suggestions that as a condition of getting the game, the uh, Major League Baseball is going to pressure the Indians to do away with their chief Wahoo lo- slogan, uh, logo and mascot. Some people think that they should go even farther and do away with the name Indians. 414-799-1620 is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Sam in Lake Geneva. Sam, you're first. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Thanks hey, for taking my call. Sure. Hi, I'm a Native American from Wisconsin. My family's lived here our whole lives, and I do find these logos offensive. The the teams, the, the fans of these teams, the way they dress up with these cheap headdresses, mm-hmm. it's not it's not representing it's not an honor to this culture at all. The term Indians doesn't even refer to us. We're not we're not Indians. We're we're na- we're indigenous people. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand how people can't see this being offensive. Well, let, let me, okay, let, let's let's break this down into a couple of things. Do you think the Cleveland Indians should no longer be allowed to call themselves Indians? That well. 
that doesn't bother me so much. That logo is very the Chief Wahoo too. logo. Okay, that to me is like blackface, an Indian blackface. Do you think the Atlanta Braves should no longer be able to call themselves the Braves? I don't know about that either. I don't think that I think they could stop with the Tam- Tomahawk chant. Actually, I would say they probably should stop using it because the culture is not being represented or respected properly, and that goes for the Blackhawks as well. Because if you look at their fans, the way they dress up, but they don't really know anything about this history. Well, but I guess my question to you, Sam, would be, why do you necessarily find that offensive? Do you think that because, I mean, do you seriously, do you really believe that anybody who's an Indians fan who has that Chief Wahoo logo really thinks that that's, that's what you're like or really think that that's what, you know, other Native Americans are like? Well, I think we have a problem with this country understanding our history with Native Americans. Mm-hmm. I don't think that does any help at all. Okay, thanks for the call. I mean, I, I, I guess there should we should we? I'm thinking of Notre Dame. All right, you know Notre Dame. They're the Fighting Irish, right? Well, I mean because because they're the Fighting Irish, and you've got the the leprechaun there. Does that mean to suggest that? All Irish people are are fighters, or you know, are is that is that the image that you have when okay, they're the Irish, so you've got like the leprechaun that's there. Does this is is it is is something which is admittedly Chief Wahoo is a caricature, but does that mean that that people are automatically going to assume that that's what all Native Americans are? I mean, you have lots of these logos and things that aren't designed to reflect and represent. That's exactly what they're. They are caricatures, but is it worth getting offended by? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Fritz in Fredonia. Fritz, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I'm just curious. Uh, we live in a part of Wisconsin where a lot of the the towns' names are actually named after Indian tribes. McGuanago being a, a classic example of that. Sure. Yeah, and I, I live in a little town called Wabaka. It was named after Chief. In the Indian tribe, I'm just curious if they're offended by that, and are we going to have to start changing the names of towns? Is well, it- well, I guess I. I mean, I think. I mean, thanks, I mean, I, I think the, the answer would be no, um, because I see. I, I do. I do understand that there is a distinction between okay, a, a logo like like a Chief Wahoo. And uh, the, the name of a town, McGuanico. That's why I did think it was ridiculous that, you know, you had this huge flap over, you know, the McGuanico Indians, given, you know, the nature. And I don't think I didn't believe in that case that any any reasonable person could find that to be offensive. I, I think the, the battle of, for example, to, to the people that are arguing you can't call them the Cleveland Indians anymore. Um, I mean, they've always been the Cleveland Indians, and I understand that times and tastes change, but I'm not convinced that that is a derogatory thing. Now, to me, the indi- interesting indicator is that you've got this logo, and obviously that there are enough people who don't agree that it is offensive that they support this and they continue to buy all the merchandise and things like that. 414-799-1620 is the number. Let's talk to Chris, um, who's calling us from Indiana. Chris, good morning. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Well, thank you, sir. What do you think? Well, you know what? I I like Chief Wahoo. You know, I'm not Native American. It's like, really, you know, it doesn't offend me. I think he's been there forever. I don't think the the 1940s. I don't think Cleveland Indians by any means are trying to be uh, 
offensive or anything like that. But, you know, t- today it's the Cleveland Indians. Tomorrow it could be the Milwaukee Brewers. You know, they could say the Brewers are, are uh, making you think about alcohol and getting drunk, you know. So you think this is political correctness run amok? Yes, I do. Um, no, well, I, you know, I mean, I guess, see, I look at the, I guess I look at the intent. And our first caller was Native American. I understand why he would say, I am offended by this. My guess is that there's not necessarily a consensus. My guess is a lot of Native Americans look at that and say, okay, this is, this is just, it's kind of fun imagery, and it's no more offensive than that the fighting Irish would be. Now, I'm not saying that that's, that I'm not saying that that's representative of of everyone, but my guess is that there is a split along those lines. I don't know that there's this uniform sort of feeling about that. To me, I just think it's a free market thing. At the end of the day, if if it gets to the point where our, our society has tr- evolved to a point where lots and lots of people are offended by this, well, then what happens is it, it no longer becomes economically viable for the the, the Indians to continue with this logo, and they'll just do it naturally. I, I don't know that you need Major League Baseball to get involved in this. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Kevin in Oconomowoc. Kevin, you're in 620 WTMJ. Speaking hey, of Native uh, American names, Oconomowoc, another one. <laughs> yeah, place the falling waters. Well, the idea that I, I have is that while I'm sympathetic to the concerns of the initial caller, He's overlooking a really big part of it, that historically the Indians have always been representative as being a brave and prideful, in the proper sense, of a nation. And they've never been portrayed badly. Now, do you want your legacy to be people who are brave, people who are righteous, or do you want to be known for gambling casinos that rob people of money? Well, I mean, I think, well, I mean, yeah, I know, you, you raise it, and that's it. I mean, there, there is an interesting, you know, issue, and it has to do with stereotypes. And I, see, I wonder how far you, you carry this. Um, we're, what, what about all the, the Westerns, the, the John Wayne Westerns that we grew up in? When John, that's probably a bad example. But what about the Westerns where you had a, a very stereotypical portrayal of, of Native Americans. Um, okay, do we now say, okay, we're not going to show those movies anymore because they have a stereotypical, you know, portrayal. We're, we're not going to watch the, the Westerns where you have the, the different heroes and, you know, where they portray, you know, the, in, the Native Americans, the Indians as bad guys or whatever. Do we not play cowboys and Indians anymore? Where do you end up drawing the line? And especially where there is such a tradition that's here. Here is what I think is going to happen. My prediction is, within the next two or three years, Chief Wahoo, as as an Indi- a Cleveland Indian-sponsored logo, goes away. I think Major League Baseball is going to use this uh, all-star game. They're going to hold it over their heads. And uh, are, are the Indians going to change the name of Indians? No, they're not going to do that anytime soon. But I do think this logo is probably doomed. Reasonable people can disagree about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. And then in a couple months, we'll turn our attention to the real issue, the Washington Redskins, who appear, who have pretty much decided they're not, they're not going anywhere and they're not changing the name. 1128, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Easter eggs are filling fridges throughout Wisconsin. How healthy or unhealthy are eggs? 
Is there a way to make them healthier? John McCure has the story 420 today on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Hondo is producing the show. I love eggs. I, I just, I mean, I don't know about Easter eggs, but if, if this is like another thing saying don't eat eggs, I mean, I just, I just don't, I just, I don't tell me about those sort of things. I want to, I, I want to go, you know, fat, dumb, and happy. I want to be enjoying my eggs over easy. That's kind of it, right? You with me, Jane? Absolutely. All right. Just don't tell me it's bad for me. I'm convinced everything is bad for me. It's 1135, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, if you missed out Saturday, do not make the same mistake tomorrow. All right? See, don't make the same mistake twice. That's one of my big rules of life. I always tell people, don't make the same mistake twice. Well, don't you make the same mistake twice. Be part of our WTMJ Bucks playoff watch party. It is at the Bosch Tavern in Hales Corners. Come cheer on the Bucks as they look to take a two-game lead on the Raptors in Toronto. And I, I, I said this at the start of the show, color me surprised. I mean, I... I, I just the Bucks season, especially after they lost Jabari Parker. I mean, it's just been. I'm just thrilled with the way that the team turned it around. And you know, Toronto, Toronto's a really good team, and the Bucks just, the Bucks just completely and totally outplayed them. They played harder, they played smarter, they played better. What a big win! Now, can you sustain it? I don't know, but it was a great win the other day. Um, if you show up at our watch party, you can win some great prizes that we're going to be giving out during the game. It's the WTMJ Bucks playoff watch party at the Bosch Tavern in Hales Corners. It is tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. It is sponsored by Lincoln Contractor Supply and Rhino Shield. All right. Now, I, I said last week I, I, I'd been wanting to buy, purchase a new car for a while. And so we could go Saturday, bought a new car. And picked it up on Monday. And I, I admit I am thrilled with all the bells and whistles that this vehicle has. I, I just had gadget envy because I had, like, nothing, just nothing on, on the car I used to drive. So now I've got, like, i got adaptive cruise control. Do you have that on your car, Hondo, adaptive cruise control? You, you don't even, what, it's, it's, what's really cool is, like, you set the cruise control at, at 70. Let's say you set it at 70. And what will happen is... Let's say you're, you're coming up on you're in the right lane. You're coming up a car and you're getting close, and and you want to and the car's going slower than you are, and you, you can't get in the left lane because there's cars in the left lane. You don't have to deactivate the cruise control. What it does is it automatically it senses the car in front of you and slows down to maintain that gap. So if you got it at 70, it'll drop it down to like 62 to maintain the gap. And then when you pull in, when it's clear, you pull into the next lane, it automatically accelerates again. So you don't have to keep off and on. Now, that might be a small thing, but I just think it's it's a kind of, it's a, a cool little thing. And it's got the stuff that, of course, blink at you and beep if there's like stuff in your blind spot. But one of the other things that it has is, um, it's actually two two features. One is, like lane deviation, so if you kind of weave even a little bit, this thing flashes and goes lane deviation. Okay, that that's fine. That that's great when you're driving. But the other thing that it has is, if you hit a stretch of rocky road, or like a rocky stretch of pavement, um, what it does is it beeps at you, and this light flashes that says um, steering required. So I mean, it senses if there's a, a rough patch of road. And I mean, I, I've never had that on, on a car, so I, I have. And you can you can deactivate all this stuff, but I'm playing with it. I'm enjoying having all the new features. So as I am driving around in my new vehicle, in Milwaukee County, Ozaki County, Waukesha County, Washington County, that's particular. That's kind of the area where I've been over the last few days. Um, as I'm driving on the roads, I am amazed at how many times 
my steering required indicator goes on, meaning that I have hit a rough little patch of road and you need to put both hands on the wheel or whatever. I mean, it's just, I, I, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm driving down 41, 45 or, or, or whatever. You're just driving and all of a sudden you just kind of hit this, this rough road, at least rough enough to trigger this. And it's a lot. I mean, it, it, it's a lot. And I'm not driving, it's just, I'm not driving you know, irresponsibly, it's just, it's the quality of the road that I've hit. Now, I was thinking about that because, th- and we're going to talk to Governor Walker about this on Wednesday when he joins me at Insight. Um, one of the big, I don't know that it's fair to say battles, but I mean, one of the big issues that we are grappling with the state, in, in the state is transportation funding. And there's really two components to that. One is, okay, road building or road improvements. We've got to, you know, improve the improve 94 between Racine County and the state line or rebuild the zoo interchange that that type of thing the the other issue is the whole question of maintaining the roads that we have and th- there's all sorts of different estimates that are out there and it, it's kind of like ballpark but what I've seen a number of people that would essentially say across the state if you were looking for averages, what you would find is maybe 30% of the roads that we drive on are good. Good. 40% of the roads are okay. And about 30% of the roads are really crummy and need to be repaired. And then, of course, the issue becomes, where is the dough going to come from to do that? And, of course, local governments that are responsible for repairing the local roads, they're saying, you know, we, we just we need a lot of help. But I wanted to test the basic premise, and I've actually been thinking a lot about this since I, I got the new car. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One of the things that I think is, is going to really inform legislators when they decide how much money are we going to put towards road road work is what your sentiment is. How bad are the roads? So let's tee this up. I'm going to give you my number, but 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How bad are the roads that you drive on right now? How desperately in repair need of repair are they? Um, or is this this controversy, I'm putting that in quotation, is, is this overblown? Are the roads in relatively decent shape given you know, the climate that we have in Wisconsin and the freeze-thaw cycle and all that type of stuff? Or is does this need to be a priority? Do we need to figure out whether it's state highways or whether it's local roads? I mean, do they desperately need to be fixed? How bad are the roads? We will discuss next, and I'll tell you where I come down on this as well. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1141. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Forty-five. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, how do you get Paul McCartney and the Stones to play your stage? What's the key to convincing some of the most famous musical acts in history to come to your town? We pull the curtain back on the secrets of Summerfest when Don Smiley and Bob Babish join me at Insight 2017 this Wednesday night. You won't want to miss a rare sit-down with two of the entertainment industry's heaviest hitters. I am very much looking forward to that segment. Only a couple tickets remain. Don't wait any longer. Come join me. Head to WTMJ.com today to buy yours. All right, a lot of talk about the state transportation budget. There's really two components. There's there's a part that says, okay, rebuild, rebuild and build new roads. Then there's the other part that says for the state roads, fix what we have. 
That, of course, leaves local governments and county governments. They, they have to figure out how do we deal with the roads in our area as well. In La Crosse, at the recent election, it was an advisory referendum. But even though people hate taxes, it passed 55 to 45 percent. Um, it said where voters said they want to establish an extra tax, a premier resort area tax, to help generate money to pay for deferred maintenance for local roads and bridges. How bad are the roads around here? Karen in Greenfield. Karen, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I have so waited for this subject (laughs) to come up. Um, If you would go down, let's say, 60th Street, South 60th from Forest Home to Lincoln, that little sensor on your new car (laughs) would be going crazy. (laughs) Uh, The corker is they spend the money to put a sign up by Oklahoma Rough road, three-quarter mile. <laughs> so, but thanks for, letting, thanks for letting me know I'm dodging more potholes than I'm watching where I'm driving, and I hate to admit that. Yeah. It, it's, it's horrific, Jeff. And so, so what you're saying, Karen, it kind of adds insult to injury when not only is the road in a crappy condition, but that they're spending taxpayer money to tell you that the road is in a crappy condition. Huh? Exactly. I drive it every day to go to work, and it's the quickest way to work, sure. so I have no choice. But that sign is just like <laughs> we're, right. We're pouring salt in this particular wound. So around like sixty, you're talking about like sixtieth Oklahoma, sixtieth and Morgan. That whole area is just awful. That huh? whole stretch of sixtieth is absolute. But it, the sign tells you it's rough. <laughs> thank, thank, well, see, this, I mean, see, this, this is look. This is the issue that that we have to deal with. It, uh, unlike the weather, where everybody complains about the weather, but nobody can do anything about it. Roads are different. If everybody complains about it, there are things that can be done. Now, the flip side is it means spending money to do that, which means, I I don't know, I mean, maybe it means raising taxes. Otherwise, maybe it means trying to be smarter with how we spend money. Maybe it means shifting priorities. But I guess the question really is, how bad are the roads around here? And I will tell you something, um, they're getting worse and worse. I mean, there's no question they are getting worse and worse and worse. And I think this idea of deferred maintenance, and I'm not just talking about on the state level, but I'm talking about on the county level, on the local level, they're getting worse and worse and worse. And, I mean, this is the type of thing that gets politicians tossed out of office. Lee in Milwaukee. Lee, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How bad are the roads? They're very, very bad. I uh, find myself driving out of my way to find a decent road because I'm tired of having to replace parts on my car. And, it's, it's, it's you know, I drive trucks for a living, so I, I've been to other places and seen where, you know, other places have bad roads, but they're not as bad as here. Okay. By here, do you mean Wisconsin or do you mean Milwaukee? Milwaukee specifically. Okay. I live in Milwaukee, kind of close to where you got, where you got where you're at now. Right, okay. And it's just, it is just ridiculous. It, I mean... So we're, I mean, so I guess say some people might just kind of blow this off as saying, well, you don't understand. You know, we've got this, these bad weather winters, and and you've got like the freeze and thaw cycle, and that's what leads to potholes. But you're saying that you you know you travel to other places where they've got essentially the same kind of weather, and the roads are worse here, huh? Yes. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. When Chris Chris Abley, when they first put that little twenty dollar wheel tax in there, wasn't that supposed to help with our roads? <laughs> yep. 
Yep, yep, yep. It was. <laughs> yeah. and so now they want to they want to kick us in the in the in the rear end with another sixty five. Uh, yep. Dollar tax for for the buses, but not for the road. Right. That well. Right. That. Thank you. Thanks for that. That's that's right. Well, now, right. The the thirty dollar wheel tax that you now right. See, this is a very good point, Lee. I am so glad you called because this is a very good point. For the last several years, if you live in the city of Milwaukee. You pay an extra $20 wheel tax for the privilege of, li- of keeping your car in the city of Milwaukee. That was supposed to go to fix the roads. Anybody seen any market improvement in that? As the point you make, Lee, the $30, there is now a $30 wheel tax that has just been imposed in Milwaukee County. So, and you, you get, of course, if you live in the city, which is in Milwaukee County, you get the benefit of getting hit twice. But, you know, like, I don't live in, I live in the county, I don't live in the city. So, when I renewed uh, my last car, yeah, 30, extra 30 bucks, that is supposed to go in large part to help improve the roads. I don't know about you, but I haven't seen any market improvement there. And then they want to ably, this is what went down overwhelmingly in the referendum a couple of weeks ago, wants to add another 30 bucks on top of that to raise it to $60, again, to help underwrite the bus system, but also to fix the roads. That is a very fair question. Where in the you-know-what, the, these wheel taxes that are supposed to generate revenue to fix the road, where, where is that dough going? Now, I understand we just started collecting that in Milwaukee County, but really in the city of Milwaukee? I mean, you're paying an extra 20 bucks for the privilege of keeping your car there with the idea that this money was going to be used to help improve the roads. <laughs> drive down Capitol Drive if you want to take your life in your hands. Count the number of potholes and wonder whether that's happening. John in Wapaka. John, you're on 620 DMJ. Good morning. If you, uh, <clears throat> if you ever worked for a street department, which I did back when I was in high school, you could you could you could have a thousand dollar a year tax on each car. It will not improve the roads in Wisconsin. You have a problem which you are completely missing is that if you ever watched how a street department, county highway department works, they go in, they get in their dump truck, they ride around all day, they drop a little tar here and there when they feel like getting out of the truck. There's no demands whatsoever. And you 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 have there's no there's no there's no management. There is just terrible management. So unless you change the entire philosophy of how they operate, you're just wasting your time. It's never going to change. Do the patches work? I mean, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. No, I mean, it's I, a waste of time. Okay. They have these. When I did this 30 years ago, we used to take and blow the hole out, get it dry, and we'd coat it, and we'd use hot, hot mix, and we'd roll it, and it would last for five years. Right. You see these guys today? You are suffering from a union mentality. If you... If you're lucky to get them out of the truck during the day to work, it's well, again, not the I, men's it's, fault. It's the management. Well, and John, it's, and I, I mean, I guess, I mean, I, I do. There, there's the, and look, I quickly get beyond my depth when it comes to road repairs. All right, so, but, but I, I do know that there's different ways you can approach it, and the way. If you want kind of the permanent fix or the fix that's going to last several years, it's to do what you're talking about. Now, that's not the way what we do. We have the guys that go around in, in the trucks, and, you know, you've got the whatever the fill, and you get two guys out, and you put the shovel in, and you tamp it down. Now, my understanding is that that's, well, that the next time you have the freeze-thaw cycle, that's probably just going to pop out again. But, I mean, you're, you're doing something. But, but here's the bottom line. I think... We have a right to good, safe, well-kept roads. I don't buy the idea that we are not taxed enough. I, I just 
don't. That's the whole problem I have with this discussion. Now, I'm not talking about new road building and things like that or the massive projects, but I'm talking about routine maintenance. To me, a lot of the fact that it's not getting done isn't because we don't pay enough money. It's just because... Well, it hasn't been a priority. People ignore it. Um, Politicians ignore it until enough people finally start calling their aldermen and complaining about a particular stretch of road or whatever. I'm not convinced it's a lack of money. I'm just convinced it perhaps is some bad priorities. Maybe it's some shoddy workmanship when these things are first built. But I do know this. I do know that the roads around here are in awful, awful shape. And it's one of these deals where... If they don't figure out a way to get it fixed, maybe it's time for some politicians to start losing their jobs. Just saying. It's 1154. This is Jeff Wagner. Coming up next, Steve Scafidi is in. I know Bill Stat's somewhere else, so Steve Scafidi is in. I'm not sure who his partner is. We'll, oh, Scott Warris. Scott Warris. Steve Scafidi. The dynamic duo. We'll find out what they've got on their agenda in just a couple minutes. It's 1155. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 11.57, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. It is time for Scafidi and Billstad, except Billstad's gone. He's on. As a matter of fact, uh, Steve, I, I got his email, and it's like, I'm, I'm out of pocket. I'm not even checking my emails or whatever. So yeah, well-deserved vacation Absolutely. for Eric. He he's works been working hard. hard. Yes, so he's gone. Scott Warris is going to fill in, our illustrious producer. Lots of stuff on the, on the show. I, I did hear your roads talk. The roads are bad. It's always bad at this time of year because we've just gotten through the winter. Right. That stuff's horrible. Right out of the box, we're going to talk about this proposal by uh, State Senator Dewey Strobel to change, potentially change how referendums are handled in the state. There was, I think, there were sixty-five referendums in the last uh, the last election. About forty-two or so passed. Should local governments, local communities, local school districts have control over that process, or should the state step in and say? Let's put some restrictions on what they can do. And some of his restrictions he's proposing are both interesting and really controversial. That would really, the way I understand it, punish some of these local communities for approving a referendum. Yeah, he actually has at least one of his one of the pieces of his legislation proposal is that if you get if it successfully pass a referendum, you'll get your your state aid reduced. That's a little bit restrictive, a little bit of a punishment. I don't know that that has a chance. Some of the other ones make sense. He's talking about uh, controlling when these referendums happen, how quickly you can bring them back. All those things make sense. All that's coming up on Scavini and Billstead. We're going to talk about a lot of things today. Obviously, the president's going to make a, a visit to Wisconsin next week. That's exciting for Kenosha. First visit since the election. I, I, can't, I can't believe that uh, he hasn't come here yet, but uh, we'll see that. But uh, that's after the news. Coming up next, Scavini and Billstead.